Good morning, folks. This is your host, Ethan Essig, coming to you from my dope basement office here in Kansas City, Missouri. Today's podcast, sorry about my voice, by the way, I've had strep throat, the flu or something like that, so it's been, it's going to be a little raspy. But I'm just here enjoying my morning cup of coffee. I am happy to bring you the 10th episode of the Humble Adventures podcast. And this episode is near and dear to my heart. It was with one of my best, great, awesome, beautiful friends, Douglas Little. I was recently out at his place in Eagle, Colorado. He showed me and my brother Noah a great time. I try and go out there once a year and see him and the family and explore. So, but, uh, so Doug, he is in his early 40s. So he's a little bit older than me. Um, but he's played a huge role in me becoming who I am. The, you know, you guys have heard me talk about my first trip to Yellowstone and you've probably heard me talk about him in that, in that podcast. I think that was one of the first podcasts, but, uh, yeah. So if he wouldn't have been there when my friends and I went to Yellowstone or to, to show us around and kind of explain what to do, how to navigate ourselves. I mean, it it all could have just turned out different. So if we didn't always have that him to look up to, in terms of someone who's traveled the world and, you know, really stuck to his guns and living life to the fullest. Um, So that's what makes this podcast interesting. He's been to, as you'll hear him say, 59 countries, hopefully 60 soon. But, and he still keeps going. He has a family, he has a daughter um, named Bernie. She's adorable, wife named Libby who is awesome and is hilarious to watch her put up with him. So him as in Doug. So, but as a family, they still go on like three week vacations. I mean, his daughter's probably been more places than most people I know, which is a feat. So if you're a parent who's like, well, I'm a parent and I can't travel, talk to Douglas Little because he'll, he'll tell you what's up. So this, uh, this podcast starts out like, kind of a little awkward. Um, I didn't really, uh, say at the beginning that it's not a super serious podcast. So little was, or Doug was a little, uh, serious at the beginning, but you know, he, he gives some great and articulate answers to the questions I asked him. So I I think everyone's going to get a lot out of this podcast and I know I'm going to go back and listen to it. I have listened to like half of it now. And I have not done that for a single podcast yet. So, but I hope you guys enjoy Uh, just some other news in the humble adventures world. If uh, you do live in Kansas City, uh, there I'm going to be in a art show on December 12th called Raw Artist KC. And you can go, there's a link on my Instagram and Facebook. If you go there and purchase a ticket, it helps support me. So being able to be in the show, I really appreciate that. And I'll leave a link in the show notes here. And then in other news, 
what was the other news? I totally forgot now. I did have another announcement. Oh, right. That's right. Um, the Humble Adventures store is actually up and running. So we actually have merchandise. So that's cool. Another way to support the podcast. If you don't feel like buying prints and things like that, there's a awesome traveler's hat that's on there. I'm going to order myself one. A uh, array of t-shirts with a lot of colors. So um, get on there and get yourself some merch. I'll, I'll have more stuff set up soon. So just kind of got it up and going over the weekend. So I need a little bit more time to perfect it. But anyway, enough of my intro. If you have any questions about that stuff, you guys know where to reach me. All right. So without further ado, here is the podcast with Douglas Little. And I think and just want to say thank you all for being here. I appreciate you all. And I know uh, Doug will appreciate this and hey we're at 10 episodes so that's fucking awesome all right thank you guys enjoy enjoying life gonna hold this microphone like this there we go how's how is it for you it's good cool and we are recording all right how's it going yeah we're here we're here in uh eagle colorado at the littles homestead we're sitting here with uh, your host with the most, Ethan Essig, and then Noah, my brother, and our guest today, Douglas Paul Little, now that I officially know your middle name. Yes. All right, Douglas, give us, give us an intro. Hi, my name is Douglas. I'm a high school history teacher. I live in beautiful mountains of Colorado and um, mm-hmm. I have a wonderful family got a wife Libby and the little girl Bernadette who we call Bernie and we just uh, love living life yeah yeah that you do you have a beautiful life it's pretty good so one of the main reasons besides being BFF, so I wanted you to be on the podcast is... Thanks, man. You have a plethora of travel experience and knowledge. Been a couple places. How many places have you been? I think I counted... Uh, well, what do you mean by places? Okay. Like countries? Or we'll, like, we'll start with... Con- yeah. How many countries have you gone to? I believe... I counted it up, and I believe I've been to 59. 59? Yeah. How have you not got to the 60 threshold yet? I don't know. And uh, I've been at 59 for probably like a decade. Damn. I know. I've been out of the country and traveled many times, but just going back to cool places that I've already been to. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start traveling? Um. Well, I mean, I started traveling... When I was in college, I would, uh, you know, do a lot of backpacking and I go to like awesome places around America, but, uh, I did start my international travels when I finished college. So at the ripe age of 22, I just took off and explored. It was awesome. Yeah. How long did you do that? I've never really stopped. Yeah. I mean... 
I um I don't know what your brother's trying to tell us. Keep going. Um I uh just started traveling and just never really stopped. I mean, I have a profession that allows me to go to a lot of cool places because I get time off. And my wife uh, loves traveling and our little girl, Bernadette, she's uh, adopting. She's two and a half, but she's pretty well traveled already. Yeah. And uh, she seems to be loving the lifestyle. So, yeah. How just, many places have you taken your daughter already? Um, we did a awesome trip to New York for a week. It's pretty cool. Um, we did Santa Fe for a week. Uh, we took her to France. Um, we were there for a lot longer than a week. That was over a summer. She's been all up and down the West Coast from Los Angeles to Portland. We did a big road trip for, I don't know, like five, six weeks. Just camped in beautiful places and hiked and stuff. And Yeah, she's pretty well traveled. Spent a lot of time in Kansas, she has, which is yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that she's probably more better traveled than most people. Well, she, like, I mean, she has a passport, and a lot damn. of people don't have passports. So, do yeah. you have a passport? No. Yes. Yeah. I, if you live in Missouri and you don't know, get a passport soon, because otherwise you won't be able to fly. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This summer we're supposed to get a Canada also. And our awesome West Coast road trip, but we just got, it's just like, let's spend two more days here. Let's spend a couple more days here. And the next thing we know, we're like, we're out of summer. We have to get back to Colorado to get to school to teach. Yeah. That's how that goes. Yeah. I wouldn't know how that goes, as you make fun of the length of my trips all the time. So, yeah. But anyway. I don't make fun of the length of your trips. I just don't understand you can go to a place for like a week. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So what, what is it that makes traveling so important to you? Well, I mean, there's really two things. So, Mm. um, the first part's nature. Um, I love nature. I mean, I literally studied nature in graduate school. It's, Mm. uh, I purposely chose one of the most beautiful nature spots on the planet to live in. Um, and I just, I love to go to different places of nature and just experience like the bliss of the outdoors. Um, so when I, when I travel, uh, often I'm backpacking in the sense that I'm a backpacker, but I'm literally backpacking, you know, on trails, um, doing treks, uh, climbing mountains, you know, just visiting some of the most serene outdoor uh, spots on the planet. Um, and the other part of it's culture. Like, I just love to experience new culture. Um, I enjoy meeting people who are different than me and, you know, talking about our shared identities. Love to eat really good food. And traveling allows you to do that. Um, and I just like experiencing what it is to be like a local in a different place. And that's why when we joke about your, these trips you go on, you know, for a long weekend or a week or so, um, 
that seems so short to me because I feel like it takes me a couple of weeks to really get to know a place and to really get to understand the, the people and what it is to be like, um, you know, in their shoes living in that location. And I just like that depth, I guess it's a, you know, we call it depth of travel where you're really getting to know a place, you know, a whole idea that's less is more, you know, when we travel, we, you know, we don't try to do a big circuit and try to get in a bunch of different sites. We really, you know, that more of visiting more stuff, we really like to spend more time taking it slow and, um, just having these authentic experiences. So yeah, that's what drives me. Beautiful answer. Thanks, man. Yeah. Mm. It's awesome. Um, so I guess kind of going off of that, then what would you recommend for people that don't have a lot of time uh, to travel like you have? Well, become a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you get some time off uh, throughout the year, which is nice. I think, I think the, if, if I, I'll be honest, I, if I, ooh, that, that sounded like a fart. I wasn't farting. I was scooting the microphone. Don't, don't scoot the microphone further away. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't know how people can live with like two weeks vacation a year. I mean, I work really hard during the school year. Yeah. You know, 60 hours is probably pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Um, some weeks more, but I always have that time off, you yeah. know, throughout holidays, um, and, you know, fall and spring breaks and such. And, and then summer to really, you know, forget about being a teacher. And, uh, I know outside teaching, there's a lot of professions that give you time off. And I know like companies are stressing in their hiring process and recruiting process, you know, like the big tech companies to, to really honor, to give more people time off because they realize it's very, really rejuvenating. Mm -hmm. Like for just like, you know, your mind, body and soul. But if you have like, you know, you're going to go see a place and you have three days I mean, the most important thing is prepping and knowing what you're going to do beforehand. Mm -hmm. I mean, for us, a short trip is a week. You know, it's a fall break or a spring break. Yeah. And we usually pick a location, like a city. And we just don't show up and not have an itinerary. At the same time, we're not completely planned where we know what's going on. But we know the things that we want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, you know, the, the, the must-sees and the must-experiences. And you want to have time for spontaneity and such. But, I mean, just to really know the place beforehand. So whenever we go somewhere, we, I mean, we're, we already, we prep a year in advance. I mean, we have our trips lined up for a while. Yeah. And so we're just prepping and planning and saving and, you know, um, just, just understanding what it is that we want to achieve when we go. And we even do that when we're going to go somewhere for like two months, you know? Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. You're, you're, if you walk into Doug's home, it is an advertisement for Lonely Planet. Oh. So, okay. you know, hey, plugging. 
This podcast is brought to you by... Yeah, Lonely Planet. They should yeah. give you a royalty yeah. every time you say Lonely Seriously. Planet. There has not been should. a single podcast I haven't plugged a fake ad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... A, yeah. Um, no joke. Yeah, Lonely Planet's good. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of good companies out there that make guidebooks. Um, we just always use Lonely Planet. I've been yeah. using Lonely Planet since I started traveling. And... Um, I find that it really caters to, you know, the, the traveler. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the tourist. Yeah. And I like that aspect of it. Yeah, because it's actually people who have gone and... Yeah. And you get just great sections on, like, history, you know, and culture. And, um, you know, you get a sense of who the people are. Yeah. You know, one of the things about being a good traveler is being a knowledgeable traveler with the people you're going to meet. I feel like Lonely Planet does a you know pretty adequate job doing that. Yeah, and the people that found it, I mean, they like literally just like went somewhere and then start, wrote that guidebook themselves. Yeah, the Wheelers, they uh, yeah, had a Southeast Asia trip and yeah, they're Australian. They got home and they pieced together a guidebook and now they have a billion dollar billion dollar <laughs> yeah, it's yeah like, guidebook industry. That's it's pretty, like, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty dope. All right, so you've been all over the world, 59 countries, going on 60 Yeah, any day now. But what would... Okay, top three places you've ever been. Um, Like international? Yeah. Well, Ireland is my favorite place. Um, It's just, there's just something... I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm biased. You know, I have... Yeah. I don't know how much Irish heritage I have, but it's the stuff I claim the most. Yeah, so you uh, don't want to do 23andMe yeah, to figure that out? No 23andMe yet. Um, Just sets it on fire. It. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm Irish. No what do you mean I'm not Irish? Yeah. Um, no. Uh, yeah, so it's what I claim the most. And I, you know, it's when I, felt when I was an undergraduate student and I was studying history and political science, I... Uh, I, I focused on Irish history and politics and wrote my, my undergraduate thesis on, um, you know, the troubles in Northern Ireland. And then I lived in Ireland for a little while. I worked at a pub for a summer. And the funny thing was, is my wife lived in Ireland. This is before we met, years before we met. And we only lived like 20 miles apart from each other. We're that is crazy. crazy. Yeah. So we, we definitely have like a, a soft spot. Um, for Ireland. Um, Have you not put that into Hollywood yet? I don't know. Um, the second place... <laughs> a little story. Um, was, a little story with a lot of love. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> I thought this was a serious podcast. You guys... No, it's not. If you... <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Now, um, yeah, the second place... I mean, there's so many just amazing places, but I, I think the second place is, you know, the stories from this one quite well because you're my student or you were at my school at the time when I came back was from Cambodia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got dysentery, so I came back like 30 pounds lighter. Yeah. Which was a great diet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had all these people going to me like, Mr. Little, how do you, how do you get the dysentery diet? Oh, my God. That, that works wonders, right? I'm like, yeah, that yeah, works great. Worst part about that was all the toilets in Cambodia were squat toilets. <laughs> and, and if you've ever had dysentery, it's massive diarrhea. 
And so, like, I'm just, like, holding on to stuff, squatting, like, wrapping towels around my leg because there's serious splatter when you have dysentery. Um, that was that was horrible, but in an awesome way. Um, so I lost some weight. Pour more wine. But uh, pour, lost some weight. I'll take a little more wine. Um, lost some weight. But I worked at an orphanage for part of the summer. That was uh, pretty amazing. But I just found the people of Cambodia to be like very, like very authentic, yeah, um, and genuine individuals. You know, the orphanage I was at was just absolutely poor. And I remember showing you guys pictures in class, and uh, like their prized possession was this soccer ball. But it was so old and beat up, it just didn't have any enamel around it anymore. Dang. And their goalposts were just literally like, you know, branches yeah. taken out of the out of the jungle. And I remember I went into town to see them reap, and I found some like just cheap soccer balls, and I brought them back. And when I gave them to the kids, they're just like mesmerized. Like, how do I get that much wealth to buy soccer balls? Um, but yeah, the people are just amazing. Yeah. Um, everything about it. And obviously when you're going around and visiting, um, you know, Angkor Wat and, um, you know, the temples around Siem Reap and yeah, that's fine. And then, um, when you're, you know, just exploring, you know, the rural Cambodia, um, I don't know. I just, I fell in love with it. You know, I've been to a lot of cool places, and I've been to a lot of, um, I guess, uh, like I, I guess I specialize in travel to the developing world, and it's it's kind of where I feel at most home at when I'm when I'm abroad, and you know, I just think Cambodia was, oh, I just, I don't know, I found it to be like majestic, um, in, in a way I hadn't experienced before, and as someone who is I consider myself a social justice warrior. Um, you know, it's a place where, you know, they, they definitely need help, international help. And so I felt like when I was there, I was doing good. And so, yeah, I really loved it. And plus, I mean, the history of Cambodia is so tragic. You know, one thing I really love about the valley that I live in here in Colorado is we have an organization that takes kids on these international trips. And so a lot of my students go to Cambodia and and so we talk about it in class and we always talk about like, what well, what'd you feel? Like, what, what, what did you, like, what emotional response did you have when you went to the killing fields? You know, how, how, just to, how do you like process that much death and destruction? And they're good conversations because they really uh, tell us a lot about the tragedies of the world and, and what we need to do to never let that happen again. And I see that like, that sense of purpose in my students when they come back from a place like Cambodia and probably switching gears, probably the third place is Guatemala. Um, and if you guys remember when I was teaching at your school, I took kids to Guatemala every summer on a, on a, on a mission trip. And Guatemala is just, I mean, you know, it's, it's different in, than Costa Rica. And we were talking about Costa Rica earlier, but Costa Rica has got this like lush wildlife, yeah. you know, but Guatemala doesn't have 
you know, like monkeys all over the place and scarlet macaws and the iguanas and stuff. But they have just beautiful volcanic mountains. But really what drives my like love for Guatemala is the, the culture. It's just vibrant and colorful. It's, um, the people are just very hospitable. Uh, you know, when we're, when we're, we'd, we'd stay at this convent of nuns and like, they just took care of us. You know, they're like our, our madres for the, you know, for the week or two that we were there. And it was, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and I just love all aspects of Guatemala. I mean, everywhere you go in the country, it just has something special to offer. So yeah, Guatemala is definitely high on the list. You know, the thing is, is like, those are the top three right now. Um, yeah. It's depending on the mood, or maybe if I was drinking beer instead of wine, you know, I might have three others. But those are definitely, you know, three countries I think about and I, I don't want to mm-hmm. go back to. Yeah. Okay. So, and I have not done much international travel. I've been very much a national parks out west plus a Disney World. Yeah. Um, lots kind of, of guy. World. Epcot has really cultured me more than anything. Surprised you keep mentioning Epcot, but you never talk about Harry Potter land. Like, because, okay. One, insane. we're not going to get into this on this podcast, but Harry Potter is garbage. Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm done. I'm out not of here. garbage. Hey, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like Harry Potter. He's a little whiny, but you know. Anyway, so we'll go with, you know, with done a lot of national parks. Mm-hmm. You, um, really introduced me to my first time or like long period of time in the national parks, rather than just like a. Stop by. Yeah. Look at that sign. All right, back mm-hmm. on the highway. So what, in terms of nature and getting out and about in the U.S., what would you say are your top three? Top three places to visit nature-wise in the United States. Yes. Well, I'm going to be a little bit biased right here. And number one to me is going to be the White River National Forest, okay. which I live in the middle of the White River National Forest. Okay. Um, but it's actually... So we'll go three after yeah. the White River National so, Forest. Then. But you have to remember the White River National Forest is the largest protected land in America. Yeah. Um, I think it's composed of, I want to say nine wilderness areas, all nine of them. Very large. I could be wrong on that number, but I believe it's nine. Um, it's actually the most visited wilderness spot in the United States, more so than Yellowstone or Yosemite or any of those other places. And the national parks, it's just a national forest. And I love it. I mean, just think today we left my house, didn't get in a car, didn't go drive anywhere, and we went and summited a peak did a 10-mile hike. I went up about 2,000 feet in elevation. Just had beautiful, beautiful views of, like, Mount of the Holy Cross, uh, the flat-top wilderness area. Um, you know, just this beautiful, blissful outdoor location that I live in. 
and that's my backyard. Um, so I'm biased, but you know, it's not like I just happened to live here. I mean, we sought out this area to live and we looked for jobs in this area and we bought a house in this area and yeah, we're making a life and raising our daughter in this area because being in this area was important to us. So outside of my home in this beautiful, amazing wilderness area, that's got great ski resorts and great hiking and all this. Um, my favorite wilderness spot in the United States is, is by far Yellowstone. And I know my little brother would just be cringing to hear this because we're a big Yosemite family. Yeah. But there's just, uh, it's just something about, first of all, my favorite fishing spot on the planet is Slough Creek. And I love just, just backpacking in and spending, you know, two, three, four nights on Slough Creek. Um, you know, usually like in the second and third meadow and just, just, uh, just like being on the river all day. And, you know, when you're out there during the day, there's, you know, there's, you probably see a dozen or so fisher people up and down the river. Um, but at night, there's so many limited backcountry spots. It's just you. And I've never actually done a back. I've been back there like six times overnight. And every time I've been by myself. Um, what's Dang. rad. And so I love Slough Creek. The Lamar Valley. I mean, for wildlife. I mean, There's nothing like it. Yeah, I mean, you just see giant herds of buffalo and elk. Packs of wolves. I mean... Uh, bald eagles it's just absolutely fantastic um yellowstone lake uh, you know as a kid there was uh, um this disney cartoon oh i can't remember the the bear who starred in it but i remember watching it when i was a little kid and there was fishing bridge um and they're actually fishing from the bridge it's like a 1950s cartoon stuff and yeah I was just mesmerized by it. I'm like, I wanted to go there. And I remember the first time I stayed at Fishing Bridge. Can't fish from the bridge anymore, obviously. But I've backpacked around um, Yellowstone Lake. Oh, I probably spent a good month or two of my life out there. Um, and most of it just in solitude. And I love it. And there's there's just so many like other awesome places like the Madison River that flows through that's just hard to fish on. But just beautiful. Um, the Grand Canyon, the Yellowstone, and the Falls. Um, and just, you know, um, Shoshone, uh, Shoshone um, Lake, which is the largest lake in America that's not connected by road, which you and I hiked out there too. Yeah. Um, I don't know, probably four or five years ago now. Yeah. That was my, that was my first backcountry trail oh, really? ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I just I just love Yellowstone. Um, that was the longest hike. That was my first over, like five mile hike. Yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful hike. Remember like those bluffs over the river and stuff. And yeah, yeah. It was a, it's a good hike. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So I, Yellowstone is is my favorite spot in the United States, and it's not just Yellowstone. It's the Greater Yellowstone area. Uh, yeah. You know, the national forests around it. Uh, Bozeman, Montana is a fantastic city. It's awesome. Um, you know, I just I just love that spot. Yeah, I think both of us would probably agree with you 100%. on that. 
Yeah. And then uh, number two uh, would would be Yosemite. Yeah. Um, I've never been to Yosemite. It's hard. You know, we tried to go to Yosemite this summer. Too full? Uh, well, this is what happened. So camping started at like 8 o'clock my time. Yeah. And uh, I was in a meeting at my district office, like negotiations, because I'm on the negotiation team. Mm-hmm. And we started at 8, and uh, so I couldn't reserve a spot um until like 9 30 when we had our like first like 15 minute break i'm like i'm just gonna hop on really quick reserve a spot and then i'll be done and there was nothing left for the entire summer and the dates like the whole, within an hour the entire park was um booked up and there are places you can go like one of my favorite spots is tuolumne pass and tuolumne campground i really love that area but you know, it's cool when I'm just adventuring by myself to pull up and see if I can find a camping spot. And if not, then I'll just park my car and hike into the backcountry overnight or sleep outside the park. But, you know, with having a little girl, yeah, didn't want to take those risks of not being able to find a spot and, you know, just making sure she's safe and comfortable. So, yeah, we, we didn't go uh, on our West Coast trip where we were gone all summer. Because we couldn't get in. And and that's, I don't want to say it's ruining Yosemite. Because uh, obviously the National Park Service is doing a, a, a good job at really limiting the nights you can spend there. And regulating the number of people who go. Um, but it's become so popular. And it's it's become such a zoo. And a lot of, especially in the valley. That it really just takes away like. It's the tranquility of it. Um, you know, there's this this backcountry spot um, I really like, and it's at, like, the base of Half Dome. It's Little Yosemite Valley. I remember going out there, you know, 25 years ago and backpacking out there and staying overnight. And, you know, there'd be a few people. You know, you can get reservations. You know, might walk up and get reservations. And now the whole backpacking areas campground is just like filled up every night and last time i was out there there's probably like three dozen tents i want to say and it just felt like i was at a campground like in the valley as opposed to like in the backcountry. yeah it was so busy and so it's really you know it's it's just really kind of and this is happening in wilderness areas all over america i mean nature's popular again people are going outside and uh which is great because the more we use it I think the more opportunities we have to save it. But um, places definitely can come overrun. You know, we have a, a, a beautiful little hike um, here, which I haven't done with you, but I did with Connor. It's called Hanging Lake. And they have like a big parking area off I-70. And you know, it's a beautiful hike up and hike down. Um, but I remember, you know, I went with Connor and it was just busy the entire time. And my wife, Libby, she went, oh, maybe a year later and she said it was twice as busy. And it actually, it was a line of people just getting down the entire way. It's like, you're just standing in a line. And um, now they're talking about limiting the people that hike it and having reservations for times and, you know, parking and all of this. And, and, uh, it's great because it's going to, you know, save the trail and save Hanging Lake from, you know, a lot of physical abuse. 
Um, but at the same time, it makes it difficult to access these areas. And um, you're finding that in a lot of places around the United States. We, uh, we go uh, rafting here a lot. And there's a spot in the Colorado River that I went with a bunch of friends. And we, uh, we went to uh, start in Colorado and we rafted into Utah. And it was like a four-night trip. They were telling me 20 years ago, like, you, you never made reservations because you didn't need them. And then now you, you have to make reservations. Um, and you have to book well in advance or you're just not going to be able to go because it's just become so much more popular. And so that's the unfortunate thing about Yellowstone and a lot of these wilderness places is, you know, and everyone has a Yosemite right to... Yosemite or Yellowstone? Our well, Yosemite. Both, Yosemite. And, uh, I mean, everyone has a right to, you know, it's, our, it's all our public land, but it's just not as accessible as it once was. I find that that's how it is in a few spots. And then third, um, man, there's a, there's, there's a lot. Um, I'm going to get out of the American West right now. Uh, I, don't, I just had like an innate feeling. I was just like, oh, he's, uh, he's going to leave it. He's going to leave the good part. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. It's all good. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we've been talking about getting out to Maine, uh, and we've both been to Maine and New England, and we just love it. And so there's Arcadia National Park. Um, and there's just something about being able to go and get a lobster roll and then go for a hike. Um, Bar Harbor is just a beautiful little little town. <coughs> it's, uh, it's just a... It's just a I don't know. It's just a beautiful place. Um, it's a lot different than the American West. The American West is fantastic. And, you know, obviously I live in the American West, but if I were going to get back East, it would definitely be back to Maine, specifically probably Arcadia. Yeah, I need to go to Maine. Yeah, you should go to Maine. Everyone should go to Maine, but not at the same time. Heard good things. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, I mean, we probably experienced some of that busyness in Yellowstone this summer. For sure. I mean, like, took us like an hour to get out of Hayden Valley. Yeah. Over to uh, um, Mammoth Hot Springs. And it's just like, because everyone stops for a bison pick. Oh, yeah. So... I don't know, but yeah. Do, so, do you feel that that is a good thing, though? I mean, I it's as long as it's as long as the land is taken care of. So we there's this, um. Yeah, I I, I do think it's a good thing. People are becoming consumers of nature, okay. and and when people become consumers of nature, um, they they develop more of this like intrinsic bond with mm-hmm. nature. And they want to make sure that nature is protected. Yeah. And so the more people who who gain an appreciation in a sense uh, that these are special places, uh, the better chance we'll have at protecting, um, you know, our wilderness areas. But the thing that that might concern me is there's this policy that um, that the Forest Service has been using for years. 
It's uh, um, it's called multiple use, but like sustainable yield. And so the idea is that we use nature for a benefit, and um, and we have to do it in sustainable ways. Uh, and that all kinds of different people from different walk of lives get to use these public lands. And so, mm-hmm. for example, today when we were hiking, we, we went through some gates and we opened them and we shut them. And they made the comment about, is there cattle back here? And yeah, it's, it's BLM land in the summer. All the ranchers around here um, contract out with the BLM and graze their cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's multiple use. Um, and, and whether it's, you know, people who are cutting down trees, you know, we're in Oregon in the summer and. We were, my sister lives in a, a logging area. It's, it's forest service land or, or state park land that, that a lot of the foresting, forestry work is taking on where they're cutting down the trees. But they contract with these companies and these companies pay fine or not fines, but fees and it provides jobs and all of this. And so that's great. Um, tourism is part of this. And if we don't use our, our wilderness spaces um, for recreational use, it will get used one way or the other. Whether people yeah. are going to come and log it, people are going to use it for grazing land. Uh, and so I feel like when we have more boots on the trail, so to speak, um, that there is a protective policy for our wilderness areas. And and we can, um, we can just do a better job at, at protecting the land we love so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the uh, only thing when it comes to that, like the volume of people, sometimes I worry about things like some of the stuff we saw today with trash or people doing yeah. silly things. Well, the funny, it, thing, the funny thing is, is so I lead this thing called Community Service Day at school. and uh, Are you a saint? Yes. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we pick all these community service projects and we work really closely with the BLM land. And half of half of what we do with the BLM land is just finding places to send kids out to go pick up trash. And I'm always joking with the kids, well, you guys go out there and party. And you, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you just trash it. Once a year, you guys can go out there and pick it up. So I send hundreds of kids into the BLM land with bags of trash. And... Uh, that's awesome. You know, like some of the teachers bring out their like side by sides or their four wheelers and they're just like scouting the areas beforehand and taking pockets of kids out to these party areas. And we fill, you know, hundreds of bags of trash. I mean, yeah. that's just how it is. Um, yeah, but when you get people, you get trash. Uh, no matter what. Yeah. 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 It's, it's unfortunate. And that's why we need to be cognizant of the wilderness areas that we're in. I remember when we were at uh, Grand Prism. Is that the? I can't remember that the the big giant. Uh, um. Oh, what's the? In Yellowstone. Yeah, in Yellowstone, big giant uh, geyser. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. With the boardwalks that yes. go out and yeah, someone is throwing trash like right in the middle of this giant dude, beautiful geyser. Dude, there was a uh, there was a lawn chair in the middle of the geyser this summer. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's horrible. Well, no, when you and I were there. Oh, when we were there. I don't know. You were, you were taking us on the boardwalk, and I looked down in one, and there's a freaking lawn chair. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I can't say out loud on the podcast what I was thinking, but. Yeah. 
Yeah. Don't pretend like you've never. No, I've said some terrible things on yeah. it. But, uh, yeah. I think in it, like Yellowstone specifically, one of the things that always bothers me is wildlife interaction. Like, mm-hmm. just the probably dozen times by now I've try, seen somebody try and pet a buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just. Where they say, don't pet a buffalo. Yeah. And people are like, I'm going to pet a buffalo. How, I don't get how there's something Nothing not in, in our DNA that, like, yeah. you see a buffalo and you're like, I probably, I probably shouldn't pet that. You know what? It's a wild animal, but I bet this is safe. I, um, it looks yeah. cuddly. Well, that's that's uh, that's that's why it's our responsibility and our duty to educate people the best that we can of how to utilize nature. Um, you know, we have a civic obligation um, to ensure that our wilderness spots are are taken care of. And whether that's just tell someone, hey, don't be a moron. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, don't don't go pet the bison. Um, it will hurt you. Uh, yeah. and, and Or if it's just, hey, don't litter. But the most important thing is just live by an example. You know, when you're out there, you don't go pet bison. Um, you don't litter and all of that. You know, when you look at the numbers of people who are visiting Yellowstone, it's increasing dramatically every year yeah and so there is talk about a raising fees and um and then also limitations rocky mountain national park has limitations yosemite has limitations yeah rocky mountain national park can get pretty yeah i can get busy yellowstone doesn't have any limitations i mean i've spent months in the summer at yellowstone um hanging out you know and i it's Every so week or huge. two, I go to a, a new campground and make a base camp and just explore that area. And they're talking about doing that, too, which would be heartbreaking because, you know, our family, what we would do is we'd go out there for a while and enjoy it. But if that's what they need to do and then have quotas or limitations on the people who can, uh, you know, go into the park at one time, that probably going to be a reality in the near future. And, and the idea is to prevent, you know, the A, the, just the traffic, um, the disruption to wildlife, the, the trash and the litter, uh, overuse of the resources of the park because they are limited. There's only a certain number of showers and certain number of camp spots and certain number of picnic areas and such, certain number of good fly fishing spots. So, yeah. But, you know, the truth is, is, most people who go to these parks never get within, what, a couple hundred yards of their car. And when we go, obviously, we, like, head straight to the backcountry. Yeah. And so when you're in the backcountry, I mean, it's like there's no one there. Um, yeah. I remember one year I was uh, – this is the summer before that you went out with uh, you and Connor and – all your buddies came out and hung out with me and my brother. But um, I wanted to go on Yellowstone Lake and go fly fishing for a few days. And so I went to go pick up my permit. And you have to watch the bear video whenever you go in the backcountry and all this stuff. And I was talking to the ranger who was processing me. I was like, hey, man. Hey, I just read that where I'm going is heavy bear country. I'm by myself. Should I go out there? He's like, oh, you'll, yeah, you'll be fine. It's a, it's a heavily trafficked area. Um, 
And then plus there's like, there you're at, there's like, you know, six, seven backcountry sites. There'll be a bunch of people out there. And I was like, cool. So I drive out to the trailhead. Nobody. Not a car. I'm the only car parked. And then I'm, I'm getting to the trail late. This is It's a nine-mile hike out to the, the spot I'm going to camp at. And, um, and I'm probably there like at 11 or something like that. And I'm like, cool. Well, maybe someone will show up. And as I'm leaving, there's the, you know, the trailhead board and there's this giant poster that says warning, you know, travel in groups of three or more. And I'm like, I love that warning. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, ah, crap. So I, I just, I head out and I hike nine miles and I don't see a soul. And I get to the lake and I get to my camp spot and I see my camp spot and then, you know, a little bit. 500 yards see the next can't spot and the next one the next one they're just empty and it's just me and so i i go put my food up in the area where you hang it in the tree and stuff and and then i i walk out past tree line to the lake and it's just wide open and i walk out to the area it's like a, you know you're supposed to camp like 100 yards or more from where you cook and there's like an air like a trail you know people are going you can you can pitch your tent wherever you're at but i'm just like following the where you know the, the path of least resistance for camping it was a nice little spot on the lake but i'm like probably about 20 yards from tree line i like a tree line and every tree is just like a scratching post for a bear and i'm just like oh crap um this is the trip i get eaten by a bear and um yeah i spent three nights on the lake fly fished every day um just hiked and really just kind of like sat on the bank of, of Yellowstone Lake and just like enjoy the beauty. You can see the actual Tetons in the far distance and stuff. Didn't see a person. And uh, it was awesome. Uh, except when I was coming back. So I was, I was coming back and I picked up, picked up um, you know, my camp and all this stuff and ate my breakfast and got everything going. I got a nine mile hike back to the car. And so I'm I'm just, I'm literally on the trail, maybe 200 yards. And I'm going around this bend and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, making lots of noise. I'm singing, I'm singing the bear song I always sing, is which is bear, don't eat me, bears. Hey, bears, I don't want to scare you, bears. Don't eat me. I just sing that. Gets me entertained. And coming around the bend, you know, and towards my direction, is this giant grizzly bear <laughs> and i'm just like and i and i just i just stop and i'm staring at it and it sees me and it stops and stares at me and we're probably like 15 yards apart from each other 20 yards apart and so i'm like remember everything that i'm supposed to be doing so i have my bear spray and i reach slowly and i get my bear spray out and um you know i raise my trekking poles in the air to make myself look bigger and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. But you're supposed to like make cooing sounds, you know, like soft sounds to the bear. Like, hey, bear, yeah. how you doing? Yeah. You're such a good bear. I love you, bear. But all I can get out was, because ah! <laughs> 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 I was just like so petrified, like just terrified. Uh, and I can see the headlines now. Teacher torn apart in Yellowstone, you know, and you know, all the horrible stories you hear. But I'm just standing there and it must felt like 
10 years, uh, obviously, you know, and I'm like in a panic and I'm just, my arms are raised with bear spray in one hand and stuff. And the bear just looks, I remember he looked, he's facing me. So he just, he looks left and he looks right. And then he just looks left again and then just walks off into the woods going left. And I'm not moving. I'm just standing, I'm just standing there and I can hear the bear walking around me. Like, it's just like, like, you know, obviously it wasn't hungry. Um, yeah. Decided to avoid me. It's walking around me. And like, right when it got to the point when it was like, just, I can tell just passed to from front of me to behind me, I took off. And that was the fastest I've ever hiked nine miles in my entire life. And every, like every hundred yards, I just looked back to make sure the bear wasn't stalking me. And I remember I actually got about four and a half miles, pretty much ran four and a half miles with the 50 on pack. And I finally met people. It was a trail crew. I was like, oh my gosh, I saw a grizzly bear. And they're like, yeah, cool. I'm like, you guys suck. Um, You're like, not cool. Yeah. I thought I was going to yeah. die. Yeah, I'm like, I'm here fearing my for my life. And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, um, I like the solitude. I don't like, coming face to face with a bear um but that's yeah. part of the territory i was and if you're listening it's not a smart thing to do travel in groups of three or more i was a young teacher at the time it was actually it was like five years ago six years ago maybe um yeah i was in my mid-30s um <laughs> but that's uh good. but yeah it was uh it was a great trip caught a lot of uh got a lot of fish yeah mm -hmm. sounds like it yeah it's a good time yellowstone is the best yeah, I um, I like Yellowstone. I, you know, it's interesting. We only live like now. We live it's like five hours away. No, it's further Six. than that. We live like it's like seven hours to the Tintons, and so, so yeah, like Jackson Hole, and so however long it takes you to get up to 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 Yellowstone, maybe like eight nine hours. But um, yeah, we haven't been in a few years because we've just been doing other stuff, and so yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, we can get the get there this summer. Yeah. I feel pretty good with like a, every couple of years. Yeah. Uh, there was a it, time where I was going every year though. I yeah. Mean, it was, it was the year after we went with you, I was supposed to go with Dustin. Oh my brother. But I got yeah. my gallbladder taken out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. That was a real. Pain probably, in the ass. Probably. That was so dumb. Yeah. It was like, like totally useless surgery. Yeah. It was like the gallbladder. Like, literally, like, two days before I was supposed to go. But, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing was wrong with your gallbladder. Yeah. Yeah, it ended up being my liver years later, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> it's okay. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm getting the connection now. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, mm -hmm. it's a false thing. <laughs> oh, you missed a Yellowstone trip on a false diagnosis. Yep. Bummer. I also don't have one of my organs anymore on yeah. a false diagnosis. <laughs> it's a, it's a you might be able to complain about that one. Yeah, but like... It was there and now it's gone, you know? Like, yeah. It's weight loss. That's a part of it. It's like them accidentally taking out the appendix. You're like, well, I guess I did. Well, you know. Mm. I guess. Yeah. yeah, I will say that I think you guys do need to get out to Rocky Mountain National Park. Yeah, you know, it was funny. Last time we went out to Rocky National Park was, um, oh, maybe a year ago. Yeah. And we just went out to Estes, like, for uh, just a long weekend. 
to get away from everything. And it was cool because the park hadn't closed the, the, the highway through the park yet. And, you know, we're in Western, we're the Western side of the, or the Eastern side of the park. It's easy for us to get home from the Eastern side of the park. So we just drove through the park and, uh, and, you know, it was, it's like October. So it normally mm-hmm. shut down by then. Yeah. And uh, when we got up to the top, it was just a blizzard. And, <laughs> you know, just absolutely like, hey, it's a massive snowstorm. And so we get up and like, it's really like scary and stuff. Because if you've driven through the park, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. not, not an easy drive. So we get down uh, and we get to the east entrance and we stop and we're at the ranger station. And we told them we just drove from the western side. And they're like, you guys drove from the western side? And they just closed it, and that's when they closed it for the entire season. Didn't open it back up until the spring. That was so awesome. you were like one of the last cars. We were probably the last car uh, to make it through. I feel like you should just like get that on a plaque or something. It was of that pretty nature. cool. Craziest thing is we're like at one of the peaks driving over the pass. And yeah, and it's just like insane blizzard, and you look out the window, and there's like a herd of elk just sitting there grazing, just like showing. it's normal. Just like, well, yeah. A little snow. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Oh, look, grass. Delicious. It's uh, all good. Yeah. There are a few places I've been with more relaxed, well, not wildlife, but people than Estes Park. Like everyone's yeah. in the wintertime when it's all the locals still there. Yeah. Just everyone's so chill. Yeah, it was pretty nice. We Yeah, we went on the off season. It was uh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Rocky Mountain National Park's two hours from us. Yeah. And like, you know, we have to drive slow to get there because it's all back highways and stuff. And so the peaks um, are just amazing. Yeah. We have no excuse not to go more often. We do 2019 challenge. That's right. Put out there on the podcast. Yes. Well, what's the next topic of discussion? I don't, I don't really even have a question. You're in, you're in charge. I thought you said you had questions and themes. Well, I, I've yeah. led a, I've led the way. I don't, I don't know. All but, right. How about I ask some questions? Okay. Go for it. So, so I read your blog. Yeah. You know, I um, haven't listened to the podcast yet. Okay. But, like, you're a city kid. Yeah. You know, you grew up. You grew up in the suburbs of Kansas City. Are like, you going to give me a moment for my bio right here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you grew up in the suburbs of Kansas City. Um, you know, you just didn't have, like, the outdoor life growing up. Yeah. Like, like we talk about socialization. You know, we talk about it in, yeah. you know, my classes and how people are socialized to their activities and their behaviors. And, and a lot of it's learned. Yeah. And my outdoor life was learned. Um, we just did what my parents did. Yeah. Uh, and that was stuff outside. Um, like, where did you decide to not only, like, become an outdoors person, but, like, then blog about it and podcast about it? And, like, what what's driving, you know, the, this fact that I've got this fancy microphone in front of me right now? It's not that fancy. And uh, it was just, looks nice. Okay, um, well, okay. But uh, it, but it gets the job done. You know, okay. where we, we spend the whole day on like a grueling hike, and then we go get delicious barbecue, 
and then we come back and it's like oh let's do the podcast yeah like what's what's driving your ethos behind this whole process yeah it's a good question well one i think i got lucky i uh our for noah and i's first home we had a creek in the backyard and i spent every day after school from the age of five or six to 12 going and exploring that creek and then well both of us what oh um both of us probably uh or both of us did find our best friends via that way but yeah we just at that point in time, we never stayed inside, even if it was cold out. We were no. just always exploring. If it was summer, it meant we were out catching animals. If it was winter, it means that we're out seeing how far we can walk, walk through the creek system without breaking the ice. Oh, we're doing that today. You know? Yeah, we yeah. were doing that today. That I guess that might explain my love mm. of winter hiking above all, but... Made crossing that creek a lot easier today. Yeah, that is true. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it started there, and then uh, all I watched was Crocodile Hunter and read zoo books and things like that. No. Yeah. Jack Hanna, whatever, and uh, then wanted to eventually do that, and Connor and I always talked about that. You know, we call ourselves the Creek Kids, so. And then... Uh, once that opportunity came up when we were in college for to go check out, you know, Yellowstone was always like that pinnacle, like that dream mm-hmm. in our head. And the, you know, bears, wolves, bison, elk, moose, and everything we've always watched on these nature programs and pretended that we're out exploring with in our backyards. So then we actually got that opportunity to go live that and uh yeah and then just kind of spiraled from there yeah and i also feel in terms of why i do the podcast and the blog and things like that i mean i'm i'm like you i work 60 hour weeks all the time and i still am going to make time to come out here and spend time in the mountains so I just want to talk about that and the importance of that. And that I probably would not feel as good about life if I didn't spend the amount of time I did outside. Whether it's coming here or going for an hour hike after work or something like that. So yeah. I want to talk about all those things and incorporating the world we are all so lucky to be born into into your life that it's not i love netflix just as much as the next guy but yeah do you ever feel like you work too much like we've been having these conversations because my wife and i we were both teachers and we yeah put in a lot of hours yeah and it's taking away from our our hiking time and our skiing time and our family most importantly our family time yeah. Um, do you ever feel that too? See, that's the thing. Um, that's the the family time part. That's the hard part. But um, 
at least in my mind as well. But and there are definitely some days that I'm like, fuck my life. This was a long day. <laughs> but there are more more days than none when I have a, like a long day. Like, I feel very happy. Yeah. So um, I feel like, like the days of dances. Yeah. And I hate I hate school dances, so I put on the school dances. It's my job yeah. to run them and facilitate them. But you and, ran uh, them and facilitate them. I mean, you know, them. they're fun, and the kids have a good time, and I like all that stuff. But, yeah, like, I get up at 6, work, like, 17 hours, get to home exhausted, and uh, I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, but, you know, it's for the kids. Kids have a good time, so that's what matters. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. If I do have, you know, somewhere between a 10 and 15 hour day, a lot of the time I just reflect on the time I spent with people throughout that. So, which is always exciting. And I always appreciate that. And I love creating things. So, so tell me this, if you could give up, you know, working for the empire. Yeah. Um, we'll leave the empire vague on here. Yeah. Cool. I um, haven't explained that yet. Okay. Um, and um, you could do any outdoor job. Yeah. Like no limitations. Yeah. Like you just, you just did it. Because there's a lot of people who just do these jobs out here where I live. And they make a living doing it, make a life doing it. And they love it. Yeah. What would you do? God, that's... Such a hard question. I want to say that I would pick the outdoor job, but I also love the rush mm-hmm. of the three major things that I do in my life. Yeah. I think I would do the outdoor job if you told me I could do... Well, shit. I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. Can I do the Empire for... No, like a like portion if the of my life, life, and then if that's what you want to do forever, um, well, then just be like that's what I want. Caveat: I don't think I could ever like literally say I want to do anything mm-hmm. forever. Like I like that's what a, I, that feels too claustrophobic to. Yeah. Me. So I'll tell you what I would do. So I I either want to work for the National Park Service or the Forest Service. Okay. Not behind a desk. Yeah. Be in the field. Yeah. Um. You know, we're trying to get a new trail built uh, behind our school. So we've been working closely with the uh, land management agencies. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys have it awesome. Like, yeah. You know, we, we did trail maintenance, and they just come out with us, and they bring their shovels and their pickaxes and stuff. But I think I think our job I'd want the most, though, is the National Park Service. And Dustin and I, my brother, and I were hiking in the Tetons. And we'd been in the backcountry like four or five days. And we're just hiking, you know, I think it was our last day and we're hiking back to civilization and and there's this park ranger just hiking towards us. Had their backpack on and uh stopped and talked to him for a little bit and they're like, What are you up to? I'm like, oh, I'm just going out in the backcountry for a few days. And I was like like, you know, just cause you want to go backpacking? She's like, No, that's my job. Just like doing the routes and making sure things are okay and people are taken care of and they're not abusing the land and all that stuff. And I was like, I'm getting paid to backpack. You suck. Yep. But uh, I'd, I'd take that job. Yeah. So, yeah. That would be rad. 
something would like be red. Mm-hmm. See, and I would love to teach these things in some capacity someday, or like be a part of, you know, doing groups or like leading trips or things like that. A lot like what Noah does, like but, being uh, a Knowles instructor or something. Yeah, outward bound. Yeah, I mean, no. but even you know, I'd even get satisfaction out of doing what you did with us and like being like, yeah, I'm gonna be at or yeah. Let me show yeah. you around kind of thing. So we uh we have really awesome fly fishing where I live. Yeah. Like, it's literally considered the, some of the best spots on the planet. When was the last time you went fly? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, everything's frozen over now. But uh, um, summers, I'd, I'd go every day if I could. Yeah. But uh, a guy I work with, he's a math teacher, he, uh, he guided this summer for one of the uh, – from one of the outfitters around here and he just guided like around our little area too he didn't have to like go anywhere crazy or anything like this that's awesome i can tell that was probably the best job of his life yeah you know that was pretty cool like he he just enjoyed it and he still talks about it he's talking about next summer and all that and a lot of the teachers i work with like summer jobs will be they either work for the state parks or the forest service uh but we have a lot of teachers that work as rafting guides and they're like on the river all summer long that'd be nice yeah so, yeah jobs like that yeah that would be fun and i guess like me saying that would just be like the in the field version of what i try and do with the humble adventures yeah brand but yeah yeah when do i get my humble adventures uh shirt i don't know because they did turn out pretty good i like it I yeah want one I got a. Do you have one, Noah? Oh yeah. See, Noah's got one. Yeah, we did a photo shoot in Yellowstone. For Humble Adventures. Yeah. Cool. Didn't get paid though. That uh, happens. You got paid an experience. Mm-hmm. For modeling, when you. Yeah, when I shaved my head. <laughs> when he when he's modeling for ZZ Top cover band yeah. photos. Yeah. I thought it was a Unabomber lookalike contest. <laughs> you know, no, no, he's got a very big beard. He looks like he might be a Mennonite. So, you know, I'm I'm not uh, in any sense actually. Closet Mennonite over here. Let's start calling him Brother Noah. Oh, Brother Noah. Oh. You know, I might, I might, uh, I might recede to that kind of ascetic life mm-hmm. just because. That'd be the way to go. So, what's, uh, what, what's humbling adventures are coming up in the future for you? You're heading back to KC tomorrow. Yeah. What do you got coming up? Well, I have some uh, spare flight points, and I have a gap between now and uh, a trip at the beginning of 2019. So. Chances are I attempt to fill it with coming back here. Yeah. And then got a family vacation in July or January, beginning of January to uh, Disney World, the annual pilgrimage. Disney World. Epcot. Then, uh, We're going to go to Epcot. The fiance and I are going back out here in February. Then for sure going to Ireland in May. And then I'm going to have to sprinkle some things in between there. I keep saying that I'm going to get better at exploring the Midwest. 
but then the I don't. Like Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Gonna go see some bridges in Madison County. <laughs> Dude, there's some good stuff out there. Oh, I am going winter camping in either December or mid-January. Have you ever climbed uh, Mount Tom Shock in no. Missouri? Uh, is it as highest... hard as what we did today? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> it's uh, probably about a fifth of what we did today, but it is the highest peak in Missouri. It's not too far from Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I want you to do is let's plan a trip. I want to come out and explore the flat tops. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the flat yes. top is, we have the flat top wilderness, which when we were on our peak today, we were just looking out at. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And there's a lake back there. My wife, we want to go explore for a week or two called Trapper Lake. Um, just make that as a camp. And, you know, there's tons of hiking trails. There's, oh, I don't even know. We were looking at the map earlier. There's, Gotta be hundreds of backcountry little backcountry lakes all around there, just not over the place. So much blue, and um, and uh, just beautiful canyons and uh, natural amphitheaters and just streams and rivers. Let's come back and do that with us, and uh, done. We'll fill the Yeti cooler up with uh, cheese and steaks and beer, and uh, and we'll make a good week week of it. Just like said all my favorite things in one sentence. Yeah, and that's why I put all that in there is to yeah. you to come out. And then this is this is going uh, public, so I have to adhere mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, so. we'll come time out in uh, June. Okay. And uh, maybe July, depending on what our summer looks like. Yeah. I Don't forget we got the bachelor trip, too. We do have the bachelor trip because you what get if, married. Yeah. Do your listeners know about the marriage? Sorry to break all those hearts out there. Yeah. Yeah. I going to say, like, the only person who probably listens to this is your mom, but we've already established she probably doesn't. Zero <laughs> listeners. Yeah. I just do this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bingo. Noah listens. He listens. Well, we've gone 34 minutes past. What time? How long have we been podcasting for? Uh roughly about an hour 20 oh not bad what's your normal time for a podcast longest one i've had is about this length okay cool cool let's plan a trip out to trapper's lake okay and uh try to pick a time when the roads are free of snow and the mosquitoes aren't too bad sounds good and uh we'll just go out there and backcountry camp but where we drive to the backcountry Perfect. Cool, man. You have any closing words for any people who are wanting to go out and adventure the world? You know, I, I will say, like, like I, you know, I've done a lot. Um, and I have a lot of great experiences. I didn't come from a background where that was very typical. Yeah. You know, we didn't have money. Um, you know, my, my parents had issues with substance abuse. Um you know, uh, it was, it was just kind of sketchy growing up. And so like doing things like going to college, I paid for, you know, traveling the world I pay for. And the, you know, my driving motivation behind this was just my desire to explore. 
I'm just going to mm-hmm. let nothing stop me. I didn't come from a background where I'd have this typical kind of life. And I remember telling people when I was young what I wanted to do, and they'd be like, you can't do that. Um, you don't come from the right socioeconomic status. What's wrong with you? Go get a factory job, you know, and all that stuff. And I just was determined to live this life. And, you know, I have a lot of agency in my life. Um, I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. No one tells me what I have to do or where I have to work. I chose my life, my career. No one tells me where I have to live. I chose where I live. And I, th- I think when I talk to people about my, my lifestyle of travel and adventure and stuff, they make assumptions about my background growing up. And those assumptions just weren't true. You yeah. know, I, uh, I made this happen because of, of my desire. And it, it's just a testament that there's really no limitations. Um, you know, when people are like, I can't go on that adventure and they make up 50 excuses. Well, that's just them telling themselves they can't do it. If you want to do it, you can make it happen. I've been to some crazy places on this planet. I've done some, and you know the stories, and I've done some, um, just some absolutely like mind-bending, like adventures, mind-bending adventures. And I've just been to, to just like the most beautiful places. And I mean, I don't know how many stories I have where I thought I was going to die. You know, um, I told you one. I almost got eaten by a bear. Yeah. I'm glad I probably ate already. Um, but uh, like nothing holds me back. And, you know, it's funny when my wife and I are both older and we decided in the early 40s to have a kid. And people would be like, oh, well, the, the adventure's over now. You're going to have a kid. My kid is two and a half years old and it's probably spent six months of its life in a tent. Yeah. You know, my kid has played on, you know, the beach in the French Riviera and traveled all over, you know, different parts of this country. You know, I mean, Libby and I became experts at navigating the stroller up and down steps of subways in New York City and Paris and places like this. Like, we don't stop adventuring because we have a kid. We have different types of adventures. Mm -hmm. We may slow our pace a little bit. And, you know, we're mindful that she needs naps and stuff like this. But our kid adventures. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it was funny. So we have... Your former teacher, one of my best friends, is having a kid. And I remember we had a long conversation about this because they teach international now. They're talking about lifestyle and stuff. And, you know, one of their big reasons to decide or one of their big decisions to have a kid was was us and how we had Bernie and how, like, you know, talk about Hanging Lake. You can't get up there. Bernie climbed Hanging Lake when she was, like, three months old. You know, it's treacherous. Yeah. Um, she's growing up in that little offspray backpack for kids. Um, she doesn't stop us. So I really believe that nothing can prevent you from having the adventures you want, except you. If you want to go out and see the world, if you want to go out and climb a mountain, 
We want to go out and fish in a beautiful stream or go to a, an amazing city and or just go experience new cultures. The only thing that's going to stop you is you. Just just decide to go and then just live that life. And you'll never look back. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. That was pretty fucking epic. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for appreciate you uh, being on. See how fun this was. This is a good time. Yeah, I'm glad I stayed up past my bedtime to yeah. to get this done. It is past my bedtime too. So everyone, uh, listen to those words. Um, I know Noah and I are both thankful for everything you have led us through in our lives, and you know, kind of sparked all of our adventures. So cool, man. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad I had an influence on you. And now we have many more together to uh, get to. So, all right. Well, most fun episode yet. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Have a good one.